Hello and welcome to the Littleton Sports Law Podcast. I'm Graham Anderson, your host for today, and I'm delighted to be joined by Nick Siddle QC, a leading silk in Littleton Sports Law Group, and leading sports law junior Bianca Balmelli. Thank you both for joining me today. Obviously, we are at the moment focusing on COVID-19 related issues in the sports law world. And in particular today, we're going to be talking about legal problems arising from the deferral and cancellation of sporting events. So without further ado, Bianca, obviously COVID-19 has had a massive impact on sporting events. How have different organisers responded? Well, Graham, some organisers have decided to cancel the events, whereas others have decided to postpone them. Um, an example would be the Tokyo Olympics, which have been deferred for a year. However, the Wimbledon organisers have chosen to cancel the event, and this is the first time they've done that since World War II. Yes, it's a remarkable state of affairs, really. Uh, Nick, what, what impact do those issues have on the various contractual obligations that flow from these sorts of sporting events? Well, thanks, Graham. Um, obviously, most sporting events have a, a huge matrix of contractual and commercial arrangements attached to them. And, and most of those contracts, if they are well drafted, will either have a um, force majeure clause um, or a what's called a material adverse change clause. In the absence of clauses of those natures, uh, nature, forgive me, you're thrown back on the uh, common law doctrine of frustration. Yeah. Well, well, shall we take those in turn then and look at force majeure first? And Bianca, can you sort of briefly give us an outline of of what a force majeure clause is all about and, and what it entails? Yes, Graham. Um, so most contracts will contain some type of force majeure clause. Force majeure clauses are contractual clauses that define situations where performance of the contractual obligation is excused because there's an event outside the control of the parties which has arisen. Now, force majeure clauses can be framed in a number of different ways to cater for different situations. Some force majeure clauses may excuse performance where a party was prevented for performing. Others may excuse performance where a party was hindered from performing, whereas different types of force majeure clauses may provide for an extension of time for performance where it was delayed. Now, Without going in, being able to go into detail of each of these types of force majeure clauses, it should be noted that force majeure clauses that provide that performance must be prevented, um, in such a situation, it's not sufficient for performance to merely become unprofitable or difficult. It must actually be impossible for that performance to take place. Yeah. Now, some examples of Ordinary types of force majeure events are wars, strike, pandemics, government action. But people looking at their force majeure clauses must also bear in mind that a clause doesn't need to be that specific. The wording can be as general as referring to acts or events beyond the control of either party. And this is where it goes to the heart of what a force majeure clause is. A force majeure clause is just an ordinary contractual term and therefore, the normal rules of contractual interpretation will be applied to determine where the risk falls in a, spe- in a specific situation. Okay, so where do what Nick called material adverse change clauses come into this then? 
Well, these type of clauses, I'll just refer to them as MAC clauses to make it easier, are also a type of contractual clause that parties include to determine what will happen in a specific situation. Now, MAC clauses normally are found in mergers and acquisition documents as well as in financial contracts. They permit a party to do something when there has been a material adverse change. Now, an example of the something a party can do would be, for instance, a MAC clause could permit a purchaser to not complete an acquisition, or it could permit a lender to decline to advance further lending or call an event a default. Now, MACs are infinitely varied, and the circumstances in which they are triggered are a matter of construction and must be carefully evaluated in every situation. As with the force majeure clauses, MAC clauses are at their heart contractual terms, and therefore the normal contractual rules of interpretation will apply. What should be noted with MAC clauses is that most MAC clauses will be assessed on an objective basis. However, certain MAC clauses could cater for there there to be a subjective uh, assessment of whether or not something has a material adverse change. And parties just need to be careful when they do look at that and assess specifically how this clause applies to their specific situation. Okay. Uh, Now, now, Nick, it's about 10 years since I first studied contract law at university, and I have this very vague recollection of the doctrine of frustration, though I confess that in the 10 years since, I've never had cause to look it up again. Um, But we're in strange times. How does the doctrine of frustration come into play when we're talking about a sports event um, where a contract does maybe contain a force majeure clause or a MAC clause? And what about where they don't? Okay, well, sadly, Graham, it's slightly longer since um, I looked at frustration, but um, we'll say no more about that. Um, The the situation, the starting point is to recognise that force majeure um, is a French phrase not only because it sounds good. Um, The concept of force majeure um, is a construct of civil law rather than the common law. And in the context of international sporting events, question number one needs to be what is the proper law of the contract? Because if you're not dealing with a contract governed by English law or the common law, um, frustration may be um, an irrelevance. Um, If you have a scenario where there is a force majeure clause um, within the contract or a MAC clause, um, borrowing uh, Bianca's shorthand, Um, It needs to be recognised that um, frustration is a common law concept, which envisages circumstances where a contract is rendered impossible to be performed in a recognisable manner. Um, And what you have is if, if there's a situation where the parties have specifically addressed and contracted that certain circumstances will be dealt with in a certain way, and a force majeure clause or a MAC clause are both examples of that um, proposition or that um, approach in action, it's extremely unlikely that the doctrine of frustration will apply. Because if the parties have defined um, how the contract will operate in a particular circumstance, it falls within the contemplation of the parties that this occurrence may take place. Consequently, 
frustrations of doctrine doesn't apply. Contrast that with a situation where the parties um, haven't drafted or included um, a force majeure clause or a MAP clause. Potentially, the um, scope of the application of the doctrine of frustration is much wider. Um, and, and you can arrive at a scenario where frustration, as I say, is, is far more likely to be the um, port of call for the, the defaulting party. Okay, so let's say you you successfully uh, you want to rely on a force majeure clause, a MAC clause, or you are able to say actually they're not applicable um, or there isn't one. I want to rely on frustration. What are the legal consequences then of um, you know, praying and aid those those legal devices? Okay, well, in the first scenario um, that that you have a, an, a force majeure clause or you have a MAC clause. And the circumstances um, fall within its scope as drafted. Well, that is um, one. One always has to be cautious in saying that's relatively straightforward when you're dealing with um, significant value contractual litigation. But but the reality is that ought to be relatively straightforward yeah. because the contract ought to define um, a particular circumstance, and also ought to provide what is the proper legal approach in those circumstances. So in principle, subject to questions of construction and subject to being satisfied that the events which have occurred fall within the scope of the clause as properly construed, um, you simply do what the contract tells you. Um, frustration, on the other hand, um, is very different because the whole point about frustration is one has arrived at a point where um, the contract doesn't govern this potential circumstance. Um, and, and so therefore, you need to ascertain what the situation is and the effect of that situation on the contractual obligation struck between the parties. Because um, considerations, for example, of delay are possibly unlikely to be um, a frustrating event because the test for frustration is that the contractual obligation doesn't remain possible or capable of performance in a recognisable form. Yeah. And considerations of it being more onerous or it being more expensive are unlikely to be um, frustrating events. If you do get to the point that frustration um, is uh, demonstrated on the facts, then um, there's expressed statutory provision in the Law Reform Frustrated Contract Act, which defines what the situation is, how, how the law approaches a frustrated contract. And the statute addresses things like recovery of advance payments, the set-off of expenses incurred in performing a contract against um, monies which have been paid in advance, and also the recovery of non-monetary benefits. Okay, great. Um... So, Bianca, can you perhaps talk about what impact the cancellation of an event has versus delaying it, for example? Because that those are the different approaches organisers seem to be taking. Well, Graham, so dealing with delay first, I'm uh, dealing with cancellation firstly, sorry. Cancellation, as um, Nick explained, will most likely be dealt with either through a force majeure clause or a MAC clause, and therefore, the first port of call for any parties to look at their contract, if the contracts don't provide for, make provision for such clauses, 
then a party will most likely be able to rely on the doctrine of frustration and the remedies that Nick just mentioned. Now, with, prospo- with postponed events, it gets a little bit more tricky. Mm. Now, once again, in such a situation, parties should look to their contracts first because, as discussed, certain force majeure clauses might actually cater for postponing performance rather than preventative performance. So possibly the contracts might deal with it. With regards to the doctrine of frustration, as Nick explained, it's unlikely to assist a party in this regard because it most probably won't meet the required threshold. An example of this would be, so for instance, with the premiership football season, that's been postponed. Therefore, a ticket holder can still, in due course, use their season tickets to watch the team play. Such an individual would therefore be hard-pressed to rely on the doctrine of frustration. However, on the other hand, certain rights might tie to specific dates rather than the sporting season, and in such event, the doctrine of frustration may be applicable. Um, An example I could think of is, for instance, an an individual that has advertising rights in a stadium that laps on a specific date, for instance, the 30th of May 2020, he wouldn't get any benefit from the sporting season being postponed, and it could in such a situation be argued that delay radically changed the performance. And in that case, his recourse might possibly be the doctrine of frustration, or he could renegotiate the contracts and just take a more pragmatic commercial view with other parties. Yes, which of course is always an option, I suppose. Um, and I dare say we're going to see lots of these things being renegotiated. Um, yeah. So, so Nick, um, just following on from yeah. what Bianca said there, uh, is there is there any advice that you can give individuals who are faced with an event that's been cancelled and similarly events that have been delayed and, you know, God knows how long they're going to be delayed? Yeah. I mean, essentially, the analysis is the same if you're looking at a delay or a cancellation, save that it's more likely that you are going to be able to satisfy the test of frustration if you're looking at a cancellation as compared with a delay. Mm. That said, the sorts of things you need to be looking at is um, you begin with an analysis of the relevant contract and you ask yourself, what precisely have the parties sought to contract for? It's then also important to understand the factual matrix and the context of the contract. So a sponsorship um, contract, for example, attached to the Champions League, um, if there's a delay of the Champions League, um, you're still getting the value of the sponsorship. But but taking, by way of contrast, Bianca's example of... um, an advertising contract up to a defined date, in those circumstances, delay impacts on the extent to which the contract is recognisable in terms of performance. So you need to understand the factual the factual matrix in the context. It's also important to understand the party's knowledge, expectations, assumptions and contemplations, in particular as to risk regarding the obligation. And, and then, crucially, you need to ask yourself, what is the importance of timing as regards the performance of the obligations? And and, and the example I gave demonstrates where timing comes in and why timing can be so important. Um, And then having weighed that up, you need to ask yourself two questions. Does a delay materially alter the nature of the relevant obligation? And if it does, 
um, how and why. And, and, and then linked to that, what is the effect of the delay on the party's reasonable and objectively ascertainable calculations as to the future performance? Um, weighing all that up, you then throw into the melt, melting pot questions of expense and delay and increased onerousness, whilst recognising that those of themselves are unlikely to be sufficient to tip the pendulum towards an event being frustrating. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you come to a final question, summing all of that up, which is this. Is the extent of the delay so severe that it goes beyond that which the parties reasonably contemplated? If the answer to that question is um, no, it's not a frustrating event. If the answer to that question is yes, then it probably is. Okay, well... Nick and Bianca, thank you very much um, for that uh, enlightening exploration of some of these issues. Um, You've been listening to the Littleton Sports Law Podcast. Um, I've been joined by Nick Siddle QC and Bianca Balmelli, both practicing from Littleton Chambers. This podcast was based on an article by Nick and Bianca called Give Me Just a Little More Time. And you can find that article on the Littleton website. Um, can I also uh, invite you to look at the Littleton Twitter handle at Littleton One? And you can also find uh, more from us on our LinkedIn page. So until next time, stay safe. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.